Hello and welcome to Kunai Quest episode 157. I'm your host Mike Epps, aka Wheels, and with me as always... To be a dragon, you gotta be oh, strong. Humble, never bragging. Steve McGrady, Family Master. <laughs> uh, Such a bad show. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll have Gaijin along shortly. Uh, we will uh, see when he shows up. Yes. And this week, we were a bit late to putting up the next episode, but we still got some questions. Yeah. Thank you. Big ups to our friends M 3 and uh, Budai. Yeah. Oh, and one of these is pretty relevant. There's there's some nice meaty ones. It's it's something about the Saturn, which I just got an HDMI cable in for today. I am ready to actually have a fight over this, so... (laughs) So thanks, Budai. Uh, I think the we'll, we'll get to that when we okay, get to it. Okay, okay, but yeah, I'm going to stream some Saturn games at some point, probably while wow. recording this. You know, one day you'll stream Panzer Dragon and Saga for us plebs. Yes, <laughs> it's a good game. I need to pick up the yeah. Panzer Dragon remake, but I'm kind of tapped on my discretionary spending. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I was a little worried. I'm glad. <laughs> no, it seems fine. I mean, it's it's not of the it's Panzer Dragon One, right? Of the four games that they could do a remake for, that's not the one I would do. Not that well, they're it's doing bad. Spy it's just, as well. Yeah, that's that's good. I hadn't I hadn't heard that until recently, so I'm glad that they are doing that. Yeah, way back when they first announced it, they announced remakes of one and two, and also there is actually a worse game they could be remaking. Uh, what's that? Panzer Dragon Mini. I don't know what that is. That was a Game Gear game. Oh god, I didn't know that existed. Yeah, it's very bad. Ugh. Not recommended. Okay, I won't look it up. I'm probably gonna look it up. Imagine the Game Gear's most valiant attempt to do Space Harrier, but with a dragon. <laughs> That's basic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice because Panzer Dragoon is one of those things that hasn't been available officially in English for two decades. Yeah. Like, the last time it was officially made available was it was unlockable in Panzer Dragoon Orta. Uh. You played the game for, like, eight hours. (sighs) Panzer Dragoon Mini... Okay, I was making sure that I was was not... uh, not wrong about my statements. Yes, it was a Game Gear Panzer Dragoon released only in Japan in 19... Like, who was buying Game Gear games in nearly 1997? That is a fantastic question. Yeah. uh, You can play Saga for us once that Saturn HDMI thing gets here. It arrived, and apparently... So I ordered it, like, I want to say, like, two weeks two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, which ended up being the last day that uh, limited-run games shipping operations were open. Oh! Yes. Well, then. 
and I didn't get the notification like right away that it had. So you shipped. weren't sure if you were getting it at all, right? But thankfully, uh, I, like that Monday, I got a shipping notification. It's like yes. Are you contemplating buying these Demonica outfits? Uh, they do look pretty freaking rad. I gotta say. <laughs> Uh, but I was more contemplating the uh, Power Ranger suits. Oh, the Featherman ones. Yeah, those look pretty sweet. Velvet Room. The the track suits are also free, by the way. Sweet. Those are free. Yeah, free. free. Uh, yeah, I just grabbed everything that was free. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, as we are mumbling about, Wheels is playing Persona Five Royal. Yay! Yes, my me ho- trying to hold out for a Switch version didn't quite work, but it I'll broke. Play this, it I'll, failed. I'll play this up, updated version. Guess what? I'll play both. If there is ever a Switch version, which I suspect there will be one day, I'll play that too. Yeah. Same. How the hell do I download this? You know what? later. It's already downloaded. That's what's happened. Oh, okay. Sweet. <laughs> like I, I had the same confusion. How do I change costumes in-game, then? Uh, it's in your equipment menu. Yeah. It's the last thing on your equipment menu is, like, uh, costumes. I'll have to switch everyone to Persona 4 costumes like I did in vanilla. Can I just say that this game has more style than I think I've ever seen in any RPG? It is a game that has spent a lot of time thinking about what every single screen transition should look like. It's ridiculous. <laughs> One of my, it's like, absolutely the, ridiculous. I was remembering how much I enjoyed the fact that the loading screen doesn't say loading, it says take your time. Yeah. It's, it's just... You're going to need to to quit out in order for those uh, DLC to actually activate is the thing. But, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, no, all of them are great. I love uh, the animation for if you transport between areas where, like, you see Joker just sort of, like, in black and white, like, flash onto the screen and then jet off. Yeah. It's, it's... It's all just... Right looking. It's great. My favorite thing is when you you uh, knock down all the enemies and you can you know obviously choose talk or all out attack. If you press the all out attack fast enough, everything just kind of goes smoothly. Like there was never a menu. Yeah, it's they, they, perfect. If you, yeah, if you just slam the triangle button, it won't even it won't stop. It'll just keep going. Yeah. Which is something that someone probably had to put a lot of work into. I'm not <laughs> sure, and I don't, I don't even want to know how much. It's crazy. Can I just talk about how much it's funny to me? The original uh, dev team, uh, the original plan was that Catherine would be the engine test for uh, Persona 5, and then they would build it on top of that engine. But that engine was constructed on top of Gamebryo, and the only thing that Catherine taught them was that that engine was entirely unsuitable. Whoops. And that's why Catherine Fullbody was remade in the Persona 5 engine. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's pretty funny. Oh man, Persona 5's soundtrack is so good. I also appreciate that there is a second battle theme now. Which, uh... It, it works like, uh... Persona 4 to Golden, 
uh, for anyone who hasn't played this. If you didn't play that, which is also a pretty decent chance, but uh, if you didn't play that, the way that it works is you get one battle theme for a regular encounter and a second battle theme for ambushing the enemy. Yes. So... Uh, they've inverted how that works, though. In Persona 4, in Golden, the way that it worked was that if you ambushed the enemy, you got the original Persona 4 battle theme. And if you uh, got into a regular fight, you would get the new battle theme. This one, if you ambush an enemy, you'll get the new battle theme. If you don't, you'll get the old one. So, the new and both one of them are good. They're both incredible. The soundtrack is incredible. I love the new oh, intro. Like the new oh, yeah, it's great. It's, and the original yeah. was no slouch either, but... Uh, Persona 5's like all of its vocal tracks are uh, completely killer to me like would listen to all of them continuously yeah I think I listened to the soundtrack more than I listened actually played the vanilla game to be honest it's a really good soundtrack it is Uh, and of course like I think if if you forced me to decide, I would probably say one that you don't hear the vocal version of until several dungeons in Life Will Change is probably my favorite. Oh, that's a good song. <laughs> so is, uh, I, what is it, Rivers in the Desert? or something? Uh, like Rivers that? in the Desert, that one's really good. Uh... uh see which one I'm trying I remember that and I definitely remember all of the vocal themes I don't remember all their names so I'm checking it oh yeah 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 it's really good like they're they're all they're all really good yeah I'm glad Wheels is playing it now so that eventually we can discuss uh, the later game yeah well I I need to fuse a Hyper font of Persona. Uh, it's been a while since I had like the SMT itch too, so it's good to get back into this. Yeah. Uh, all of the new features seem like really good additions thus far. Uh, they're they're often relatively subtle. Uh, I feel like a new player playing Royal might have difficulty detecting some of the new features, which I, I would consider a compliment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you can you can sprint outside of the dungeons now if you hold R2. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I recognize the new character right away, though. Yeah, the new character is pretty obvious. Uh, that's probably the one that like would be easiest, but like if you start playing the game and you haven't played Persona 5, you might not realize something like Will Seeds are new. Yeah, I, did, I was not sure that those were new. Yeah. Uh, the grappling system because of the way it's implemented can also might also catch players off guard that that was not in the original especially because Joker has that in Smash <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you've got a death persona right uh, let me check I just did some fusing while we were talking yeah, the ones I try would I would try to keep around now are like Death Hierophant, uh, Chariot, and Lovers. Well, I got Chariot and Hierophant. Yeah, you should have already been forced into like the first uh, interaction with the Hierophant Arcana, right? Uh, who is that? It's uh, it's Sotero. Oh yeah, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah, like those are those are kind of your options at the beginning of the game. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been a really big fan of all of the additional ways to raise social stats. That is a problem in the original. Like not necessarily a problem problem, but it make, it makes dividing your time more difficult. Uh, I would also say that. Uh, it also makes the game feel less claustrophobic because in the original game, Wheels didn't really get far enough in to see how often this happens, although you played enough of it that you saw that it does happen. Uh, there's a reason that there was just a meme built out around like Morgana telling you to go to bed. <laughs> and any situation in the original game where he would have said, you should go to bed or you'll be tired because you've been up doing X, Y, and Z all day. In in Royal, that's been changed to, well, you shouldn't leave LeBlanc, but you can do stuff there, and they've added a bunch of stuff you can do there, so like you can clean it to raise your kindness and points with Sojiro, or you can read books, or... Uh, I think you could read books before, uh, but you know you're allowed to do it a lot more often... Uh, you can do crossword puzzles. Have you noticed these? <laughs> I did not see that. No. If you you want to do those, by the way. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'll be right sounds back. Like you're, yeah, sounds yeah, like you're keep, about to be. keep talking about crossword puzzles. <laughs> I'll talk about those when you get back. I'll just talk about. Them. But uh, yeah, like <sighs> Royals one of those interesting situations where it's clearly developers trying to improve a skeleton that already works rather than trying to rip it out and fix it. And it produces interesting results just because they, they know and choose not to change the core of the game, which is very different than the usual. Uh, I mean, like even look at, uh, say, like, like usually when you get a re-release, what you'll get is new things tucked around the edges of the game. Like there will be a new prologue or new things in the post-game. But Royal and the Persona, part of what makes the Persona re-releases compelling is that they're almost always adding things into the middle of the game, which is very uncommon for re-releases because it, it makes the re-release much more complicated because they have to rewrite sections in the middle rather than just adding things to the beginning round. But I think that each of the re-releases has proven stronger for the fact that they've made these changes because they're actively working to improve the core of the game rather than adding bonuses to its edges. Uh, I remember... Okay. I'm back. Okay. I was just uh, talking about philosophically, Persona's re-releases are different from most game re-releases because instead of adding things to the beginning and end of the game, po poking things onto the edges, they go back and lash things onto the core of the game in the middle. Uh, which uh, I think is what makes them more compelling than a lot of re-releases where it's like, here's a new dungeon. Because like these, their re-releases do have that, but the thing that makes them compelling is that there's also a bunch of stuff added to the core of the game. Right. Yeah. Uh, crossword puzzles are useful. Uh, if you successfully solve them, you get a knowledge point that doesn't take time. Nice. Alright, that's pretty cool. So just every time you're at, every time you go back to LeBlanc, go look at the uh, 
the leftmost table, and if there is paper on it, then you have a crossword puzzle you can do. Okay. They're they're fairly simple. Uh, you're not doing a full crossword. You're essentially doing one crossword hint, and the other words that uh, go along with it are all like used to hint at one of the letters in the thing that you're actually trying to solve. Nice. Uh, Is there a bookstore somewhere? Yes, it's in it's in this. You go to the hit R one. Yeah. Go to Central Street. Uh, it's right near the front of Central Street. I'm sure I'll find it. Oh, I see it. Uh, let's see. Uh, there is a speed reading book that will be returned to the library at some point in the game. So keep checking the school library for that. Basically, that just means that every time you read, you get uh, you read through two sections of the book. Uh, nice. Uh, of course, I get here and I have no monies. <coughs> uh, so I just got a message from Gaijin that he's not going to make it. Okay. Because the children's are not agreeing to nap time. That, that's fine. That happens. Child revolt. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. The, the game is just... It's also just a very comforting game to play right now, where you are playing a game with a normal, regimented schedule. Yes. <laughs> Which we don't have much of right now. Yeah. I am looking forward to when this podcast... When the thing I am ranting about is extremely dated. Yes. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh huge fan of everything I've played so far. I think that... Uh, oh, yeah. Another thing that I like is... So, Soejima redrew the character portraits for this one. And I think that the new character portraits generally in dialogue have more dynamism to them. They're usually used... They have... They usually are different angles on the character's face. There's a lot more straight-on facing shots. Rather than... The original game had mostly uh, the default three-quarters angle that you're seeing on Ryuji right now. Uh, it just it just gives them a bit more uh, oomph, I guess. But, uh, yeah. Um, otherwise, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, they've rejiggered some things that I really appreciate. Uh, you know the baton pass that they told you how to do earlier? Yes. That was not an inbuilt mechanic in the original. It was a re- like each character would become able to baton pass as you rank up. You ranked up their confidant. Ah, okay. And that that made it really hard to use a lot of the time. And the addition of making it just a mechanic where every time a character does it, they're allowed to baton pass to another character, makes the battles flow in a different fashion. That's very interesting. Uh. I'm a big fan of the way they changed guns. The guns in the original are almost useless. Uh, because, like, there's there's one use for guns that feels right. You use them to hit... En- they're, I, I suppose to. You either use them to hit enemies that have a gun weakness, but you're always worried about that because you're... Run- I'll explain how they were changed. In Persona 5 Vanilla, you have a certain amount of ammo, and that's it. Until you leave the dungeon, you will not have ammo again. The only way to ref- 
the only way to refill it was to get like bandoliers. You had to make them using the thieves tools, but there was almost never a time when making thieves tools made sense because your evening time was so limited. So because of a confluence of changes, there is now a reason to make thieves tools at night because you will have nights where you're not allowed to leave LeBlanc, but you can still do something. Because mm. in the original, there was basically two two modes you could be in. You could be in a mode where you're allowed to leave LeBlanc and you have better things to do with your time. Or you could be in a mode where you're not allowed to leave LeBlanc and you're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> Which is what people got so frustrated with. But now, because you can do things in the evening in times where you normally wouldn't be allowed to leave LeBlanc, you can actually make thieves' tools and those are actually useful. But, yeah, in the original, however much ammo you had on you was however much ammo you were going to have in Royal, every time you start a new battle, your ammo clip refills. Which, suddenly, guns are a viable part of your combat arsenal now. <laughs> there was one other use other than hitting weak en uh, enemies that are gun weak in vanilla, and that was that later in the game you got an ability that allowed you to exchange a certain amount of ammo for a guaranteed takedown. And I would suspect that that ability has been nerfed. Uh. If it exists at all. <laughs> because with this new system, that ability would be overpowering. <laughs> but yeah, big, big fan of every change that I've seen so far. I've not gotten to any of the new uh, confidants. Uh, I've seen them, but I have not gotten... I've seen the characters involved with them, but I've not gotten to them. Uh, one of the later characters uh, that does not show up until very late in the vanilla version, I have seen milling around the school earlier, which is nice because one of the problems of the original is that this character is very, very late. <laughs> like, the game ends about two months after you recruit them. Oh, that seems bad. Yeah. So the addition of the epilogue third semester and like making this character show up earlier in the game, even if it's just in cameo roles, might help serve to make them feel like more of a character and have a place in the group dynamic. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Persona. It's good. Recommended. Good stuff. Uh, let's see. Time to do the actual questions. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do Budai's first or Platyam's first? Uh, let's do Platyam's first. Okay. Uh, top three Switch exclusive RPGs now that it's three years old. Uh, Octopath's one of them. Yep. Exclusive. So that... Yeah. Define exclusive. Does that mean if it was. If it's like a Nintendo exclusive, does that count or does it have to be only on the Switch? Are you thinking of like TMS or. Yeah, that's. Just wondering if that counts. I'm going to say that doesn't count. Okay. Because it says Switch exclusive, not Nintendo exclusive. Uh, Xenoblade 2, probably. Yeah, definitely. I would put that at number one, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I haven't played enough of it to say. That's why my mind immediately went to Octopath. Um, let's see. Breath of the Wild. Yeah. 
Okay, We're I counting take, that. Take it back. <laughs> Have a different number one, obviously. It's a small but powerful list. Uh, and then, of course, the, the follow-up question is top three ports to switch. Yeah, like, I guess we'll include TMS here since we weren't allowed to include it before. Um, uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, even though I've yeah. only played like 10 hours, that is definitely... No, I would, I would absolutely put that as probably the top of my list. Like, Dragon Quest Eleven is superlative, incredible. Uh, again, I've mentioned this before, I don't 100% RPGs often because typically I have lost interest in them by the time I would get to the point where I'm doing like get all of the best equipment get all of the best get all the like bonus fights and all that I I did everything in Dragon Quest 11 nice absolutely everything flipped on the switch late here let's I want to give like a special mention even if we don't decide to include it or not but a special mention to The Witcher 3 for being such an impressive port sure we can toss a coin to our Witcher oh Valley of Plenty yes yeah like that was a that was one of those ones that anyone who has been listening for a while was one of those rumors where I was like, there is no way that any part of that is true because yeah. the amount of technical involved, the technical work to make it happen would be of such, they would just never bother. They yeah. would never try. Oh, we <laughs> forgot Pokemon Sword and Shield for exclusives. Oh, yeah. Oh, Boy. yeah. <laughs> oh, which one does that knock off? I guess it's poor Octopath. He's a scrapper. Um, ports, ports. Also, an honorable mention to Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Yes. Uh, as far as Witcher Three goes, the really nice thing now, with the most recent update, is you can copy your save to the PC. So you can, st- instead of saying, "Well, if I want to also you, play," you don't have to make the choice. Right. Exactly. You don't have to. You don't have to say, "Well, am I going to play the nice-looking version?" Or am I going to play the one I can take on the go? Now you can do both. Yes, you yeah. you have to have a PC copy, but if you pay attention, those are on sale a lot. That game is almost never more than like $10. Seriously. For like the complete edition. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like for a nominal fee, you get the option to essentially have the best of both worlds. See also Divinity 2. Uh, yes. Divinity Original Sin 2, I should say. Divinity 2 is a very different game than Divinity Original Sin 2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, that's that's a really neat thing to see developers work to make possible. And that's one of those things where it's like, well, what is the difference between, like, these really impressive Switch ports and, like, really impressive, like, cut-down ports from before is that, like, a lot of cut-down ports to handheld were really impressive, but there was... Even if you could get transfer a save file from one to the other, they would be just so structurally different that they would be incompatible. Right. Yeah. 
Like the thing that makes these Switch ports, like when people say these are the same game, they're just downgraded. Is and like why they're saying that as like a functionally different process is that like, oh, because you can still make those saves interoperable. You have to do things to them, but you can still do it because they're all the same flags. Right. <laughs> Let's serialize data, wheels. <laughs> Data serialization is boring, audience, and also prone to errors. Every per, uh, behind every save system you've ever used in a game is someone doing a heroic amount of work. <laughs> Please, there is nothing simpler than just deciding that something doesn't need to save data. But yeah. Uh... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I just I'm just having flashbacks. <laughs> it's okay. They can't hurt you anymore. But yeah. Uh let's see. So yeah, we've had like the, the top three ports because there's just so many of them and so many of them are so impressive for different reasons or like work really well on the console. E-series. Especially because it's a good one. Yeah, like that's just that's just a great place to play East. Also, especially because this says top three ports, uh, which, based on the prior sentence, you assume means RPGs, but the sentence itself does not. Yes. And, uh, uh, Saints Row 4. Oh, man. It's a very, it's, it actually seems like a nicer port than 3. I don't know how that works. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe 4's code base is less of a mess than 3's? Could be. Maybe they just maybe they just incorporated some of the work they'd done to patching Saints Row Three into Four's vanilla release. Could be. Yeah, you know what? I think Three was actually better after. It did get patched. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, I don't know how much it got patched, but I do know that it did improve somewhat. But yeah, man, Saints Row Four was my favorite of those. It's just Crackdown. Uh, Where are my costumes? Damn it. Back down, but with a stronger campaign. Uh, your costumes? Let me see. Uh, it said equipment. That it, it gave me a message about the DLC. Huh. Uh, no guesses. Uh, I would just move into the dungeon and see what you get. But... Is that the con card? No, I don't know if I want to do that yet. Why? I feel like I should probably point out that uh, you don't do the calling card thing the day the day of. You're going to get pushed to the next day first. Got it. That can be an important thing to know about. Yeah. Uh, we could probably like debate the three uh, ports to switch spl- slot for hours yeah especially because like that's also a shifting target and raises questions of like what are we calling xenoblade chronicles remastered i would call that a remake which is funny because it's called remaster (laughs) yeah remake remaster they don't they're fuzzy terms yeah well presumably it's going to be like the exact same gameplay with the shiny new coat but i can't imagine that it's it's but it also has just a future connected scenario yeah. and it might have new it definitely seems to have like UI tweaks it might have new quests, it might not we yeah. don't know I mean right now the king of ports is quote, putting on my quotation marks here is Dragon Quest XI yeah 
That is, I would say, like, if you have any choice of what version to play, you should play that one. Yes. Because a lot of it is even just, like, quality of life stuff that's, like, you... I mean, aside from the fact that, like, it's the only one with good music out of the box. (laughs) Uh, There's just quality of life stuff. Like, I didn't even realize that this was a tweak they had made, but, like, in uh, 11S... the change, the alchemy pot, if you're missing items, but you could buy them because you've been to a store that has them, you have the option on that screen to just buy them. (laughs) You can just instantly have them. That's pretty sweet. In the original version, I talked to some people who played that version, they were like, no, that's new. In the original version, if you were missing something, you had to go and find who sold it. (laughs) It's just like, uh, why? Uh, like, the only reason I was able to do all of the crafting in that game is that I didn't... If I... I knew instantly if I already had a way to get something. And if I didn't, I knew to what I was actually looking for. It's just, just an important quality of life. I, I need you to understand how important this was to me. But, yeah. Uh, huge, huge fan of Dragon Quest XI. Nine million hours long, and loved every single minute of it. Nice. So, so yeah, if we can easily make that a number one. Are there any surefire twos and threes? Hmm. Like anything that like I would feel angry if it wasn't in the top three. <laughs> well, I, I still just want people to remember Tokyo Mirage Sessions, so... Yeah, I still need to play more of that. Same, same. But right. Persona 5 is what I had the itch for, and Persona 5 is what I'm playing yes. right now. Yes, and I've also been playing... Well, this is a port. We could talk about that real quick. Uh, Atelier... I Why can I not pronounce... Never pronounce these goddamn games? Correctly. What are their names? What is the name? Atelier Aisha? Yeah, Aisha, Aisha... I think uh, Gaijin was saying it's like Asha in Japan. Yeah, and is uh, it Atelier uh, uh, Atelier? What the hell is it? Just pronounce it one way and pronounce it consistently and then no one can call you out. Okay, that's good. Well, I thought I knew it and then somebody said it in the game and it was different. I was like, oh god. Listen. Just... As long as you're consistent about it, people can't complain that they don't know what you're talking about. True. But yeah, all of those are good ports. Uh, it's just, there's just a lot of things you can play on Switch that are very convenient to play on Switch, and I recommend playing on Switch. Yes, you can play Civilization VI on Switch. Yeah. And soon, some Borderlands, some Bioshock, and some XCOM. Yep. I can even just buy the ones I want, which means I'll just buy Bioshock 1. <laughs> oh, can you? That's sweet. Yeah, the the download versions will be sold separately. Sweet. I'll buy 1 and 2. <laughs> you just don't want to own Infinite again. Uh, I, I guess... I, uh, I, I am a fan of, like, multiverses and infinite dimensions and that sort just of thing. It just doesn't do it well. I, I, it's not even necessarily like it doesn't do that aspect of it very well. I just think the gameplay sucks. <laughs> it's not even... fun to play. I thought the gameplay was fine, but like everything about its 
story's approach to Infinity was so limited. It's like, no, that's not how Infinity works. Yeah. Sorry, just... Yeah, it's fine. Bioshock 1 and 2 are good. Yeah, Bioshock 1 I could replay time and time again. Uh, Yeah, some Borderlands, and... I won't be buying it. (laughs) I've always wanted to play some XCOM and never got around to it, so maybe I'll play some XCOM. Maybe they can. Maybe I can pick that up, and hopefully it won't curse my like switch screen with that freaking XCOM two box that gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's kind of crazy how much there is in May now. Yeah, no, Nintendo. Like it's just a giant bam, 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 bam. They're all on like May 29th, too. Yeah. It's like, please, guys. There's there's no need for them. And then June is Outer Worlds. Yeah. Which I am still fully on board with playing that again on Switch. I will be playing it for the first time. Well, I, I guess I should just play some of it before then. I have it on Game Pass. It's it's wonderful. Like when I was playing it, I was like, "Oh, this is just, this is like the bits of Kotor I wanted mixed with the bits of Fallout I would have wanted." Nice. I was glad that it did not just go full into like the Bethesda Fallout mold because it is very similar to those, but like the the way like dialogue and quests play out felt more like Kotor to me, which made me very happy. But yeah, uh, let's see, um, and let's move on to the fight that will end with either me or Wheels missing some teeth digitally. <laughs> oh man! All right, let's uh, do this. Budai asks, was the Saturn a better system slash library than the N64? Oh, fuck. (laughs) I'm going to lay out one thing that I think we can agree on. Okay. By internal design, the N64 is a markedly better system. Obviously. (laughs) Like, just from the perspective of none of the the PS1 and 64 Saturn is easy to develop for. The Saturn is markedly harder than both of its competitors. In every, in essentially every department. Yes. The only thing it's easier at was the thing people didn't want to make at the time, 2D games. But, yeah. like So so let's get that out of the way. Yeah. By that metric, it is definitely the answer to people. So, Library. Yes. Being that we do this podcast for a website about RPGs... Oh, you're just trying to kneecap it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. uh, N64 has maybe two good RPGs. Paper Mario. And... Uh, Zelda? Yeah, if we're counting those N64 Zeldas, I would be much more hesitant to count those than Breath of the Wild, but I know that a lot of people consider them RPGs, so we will allow them for this case. Yeah. Zelda generally seems to get shoehorned into the RPG discussion, so I think we just have to just have to roll with it. Yeah. Oh, do you get it? But yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, even tend that. It just I think I'm just used to making roll with it jokes by now that it just happens without me even realizing it. Rolly poly, keep on rolling. Uh but yeah, like I think we basically just named everything that is... There are some quirky, interesting RPGs on the N64. Hybrid Heaven is an interesting action RPG construct from Konami that I think maybe seven people played. <laughs> you ever played Hybrid Heaven, Wheels? No. 
it is strange. We'll go with that. Okay. Uh, something about alien invasions. Very strange. Very strange. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things that are RPGs on the M64. Uh, I've seen very, very, like, insistent... I've occasionally seen Animal Crossing claim to be an RPG. I would not count it as one. Yeah. But, I mean, if you want to count that, I mean, Dobutsu no Mori 1 is an N64 title released in April of 2001, uh, which is to say, no, like, barely any Japanese people were playing that. (laughs) But, yeah... Uh, there's just not a lot of these. It was not an RPG-focused system. The ones that I'm not naming, I'm naming to protect the people who worked on them who probably wanted them to be better than they were. Hmm. I guess for the sake of completion, I will bring up that there exists a game called Quest 64 and that it is not good, and that there exists a game called Aiden Chronicles the First Mage and that it is also not good. I'm sure everyone wanted better for them. Mm. There was an announced Quest 64 2 in Japan. That never came out. Uh, yeah. Uh, as for the Saturn... Oh, wait. Ogre Battle per- 64 Person of Lordly Caliber. That's worth mentioning. Mm. Like, that is an N64 exclusive RPG that is good. Uh, did the did Tactics Ogre and Ogre Battle come to Saturn? I, I believe, Tactics Ogre did, I believe. I think it was like Ogre Battle Limited Edition got a release on Saturn. But that is a compilation of two prior games. So it's hard to count that. It's not necessarily hard to count it. It is part of the Saturn RPG library, but it is one of those things where it is less interesting than an, an, a, an exclusive game. Yes. Let me double-check to make sure that I'm not lying. Okay, yes, there is a Sega Saturn Japan-only release of Ogre Battle March of the Black Queen, and I presume Tactics Ogre, because I presume that it was the Ogre Battle Limited Edition that came out on the PS1. Yeah. Uh, Check that to make sure that I'm again not lying. Let's all talk about the Neo Geo Pocket Color exclusive Ogre Battle game. Uh, Was that any good? I don't think anyone has ever checked it to find out. Yes, uh, Tactics Ogre also came to Saturn around the same time. But, yeah. Um, Like, uh, Prince of Zenobia, Ogre Battle Gaiden. I don't think anyone's ever played. (laughs) Yeah, Legend of Ogre Battle... uh, Legend of Ogre Battle Gaiden, Prince of Zenobia... But it is exclusive. It apparently takes place... It apparently is very similar to March of the Black Queen, but it is exclusive and different. <laughs> Alright, let me look at some Saturn games. Uh, like my immediate like one-two punch many would be these... Panzer Dragoon Saga and Grandia. Wow, many of these are bad. <laughs> uh, there's like Albert Odyssey? Knights into Dreams. No, we were talking about RPGs. That is not an RPG. Okay, okay fine. If the yes, Panzer Dragon be limited to RPGs, then so does this. Uh, Panzer Dragon Saga, for sure. Panzer Dragon Saga, Grandia... Like, are we counting Japan-only games? Because if we want to kneecap the Saturn, we take out Japan-only games. No, no. We'll go 
we'll leave those in. Albert Odyssey is interesting. It's cute. <laughs> it's a very good traditional RPG, but I feel like it gets a lot more attention than it necessarily deserves because of the weird-ass localization that Because it was it a working design's localization, and it was the only thing you were playing. Yes, and it made the game funnier than I funnier than I assume the original was in the slightest. Basically, all of the humor feels out of place, which leads you to believe that the original script was likely quite bland. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's Albert Odyssey, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Uh, let's see. That's a good game. Um, Magic, yes, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure, sure. Uh, the rare... Um, licensed game for a property I'd never heard of that I absolutely loved. <laughs> it was, uh, I believe it was made by, like, directed by Ryoko Kodama. It was, and it's it's just a really good game. It's not one of those... The, the trap I think licensed games often fall into is it's... I don't want to say it's necessarily a lot of pandering, but it, often cases it either tries to cram like a big. It feels s- it needs to be so loyal to the original version that yeah. it needs to just like it need. It becomes less about designing a game that flows and more about designing a game that hits beat 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 beat. Right, like let's retell the story, except we can't really really tell it as well. And I have no idea if the Magic Knight Rift game follows the story of any of the animes. I just know that it's a well-told story on its own, and that's that's what you should be doing with a game, something like that. Yeah, I have two comments. I've only played a bit of Ray Earth. I've got it running in an emulator, and it's like, it runs pretty well, actually, but uh, Ray Earth is... What I did notice was that there were changes that were made to the plot to make it flow faster in a game. Okay. Which makes sense. The other thing that I noticed was that the other thing that I noticed comes from when I watched the anime, which is that the anime uh, is basically structured like an RPG. Interesting. <laughs> which is to say, it's so obvious that the people, the manga, I should say, uh, was made by a group called Clamp, who made a lot of uh, girls targeted manga in the. 90s and early aughts they still exist as a group they don't do nearly as much anymore i think one of the, i think their artist is actually like one of their core artists because clamp is a group uh one of their core artists i believe has like vision issues at this point which makes uh, drawing rather hard um but yeah like uh it was clear that everyone involved with writing ray earth had played a lot of like super nintendo era rpgs and it sort of is structured like and flows like one. <laughs> nice. Nice. Which makes it a very, like, it's one of those things where you can absolutely see how someone would look at it and see, one, how they could make changes in the adaptation to make it flow better as a game, and two, how the game, how the, like, story itself is structured in such a way as to make that an easy thing to do. Hmm. So, yeah. Uh, handing it to, at the time, Sega's premiere... Uh, RPG designer was really just like no brainer. Uh, let's see other things that oh, uh, Shining Force three. Yes, yes, yes. All three parts of it. Yep, scenarios two and three totally came out in English, right? Uh, at this point, 
via fan translation, sure. Yeah, as you do. I think they even touched up the translation of the original. Yeah, you would probably want that matching. Did did someone re-record now? Face my Arctic blast. Uh, you know what? I think their patch applies to the Japanese version of the game. Oh. <laughs> I want a dub patch for it as well. Now fear my Arctic blast. Oh God. If you haven't ever heard the the Shining Force three spell shouts. Please visit audioatrocities.com and go look up Shining Force 3 and you will find a trove of badly delivered, very bored sounding <laughs> spell incantations. <laughs> but yeah. So the Saturn had a much stronger RPG library than the N64, definitely. Yes. Uh, and if, if you go outside of that particular genre... Uh, things kind of change. They're diff- They're both. They're systems that I think comparing them is interesting. And I compliment Budai for this question. Comparing them is interesting because their strengths are diametrically opposed. Yeah. The Saturn is a good RPG console. The N64 is not. The Saturn is a good 2D console. There's basically no 2D N64 games, and there's a good reason why, based on how it's built. It's not actually good at doing 2D. It's not what it's made for. Yeah. But the N64 was the console that could make big poly- big polygonal planes worked on the N64, which is why you would see people try to port first-person shooters to the N64 when... Well, if you've ever seen the Saturn and PS1 ports of things like Quake, uh, well, it's impressive that you tried. <laughs> uh, do I am, or do I, not, there is no try. Like, all, all all respect to Lobotomy Software, who did as is, good of a job on Quake that, as you possibly could. Is that really their name? Yeah, Lobotomy Software. <laughs> That's great. They made, they made three... They made three Saturn FPSs. They made Power Slave, they made uh, Quake, and they made Duke Nukem 3D. And they are all very impressive ports that are mostly historical curios. Uh, The N64 was definitely the strongest library of first-person shooters at the time, just by virtue of Rare's output, really. But, like, 3D action games worked on N64, they kind of didn't you needed to make a lot more compromises to make them work on PS1 and especially Saturn. Yeah. Uh, like that's, that's why like N64 platformers hold up in on average way better than other ones. And that's kind of the, the gist of it. Like what the N64 does well, it does really, really well. It just doesn't do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rareware did a lot of interesting, like, 3D action exploration, uh, like, 3D, anything that involved exploring a 3D world, N64 was pretty good at. There's a lot of quality titles in that, even obscure ones like Rocket Robot on Wheels. But uh, once you get outside of that wheelhouse, you're kind of boned. With the Saturn, it's basically the opposite story. If something is not a cute animated sprite... Uh, hopping across like seven layers of parallax, the Saturn is probably going to have problems. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the problem is, and you know, this is all true, the Saturn is very good at 2D. The problem is some of its best 
RPGs and best games in general were trying to do 3D, so they don't. They aren't. Exactly Panzer Dragoon lookers. Saga holds. Panzer Dragoon Saga's looks hold up entirely because of very strong art direction. It is yes. a technically kind of hideous game. Um, I think Shining the Holy Ark actually holds up decently, mostly because like the characters and monsters are nice-looking sprites. Yeah. But then you'll get think games that look like Dark Savior. Oh. Oh. If you've never seen, if you've never seen Dark Savior, I request humbly that one you go look up its box art, which is some of the worst I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, I can't stream it anymore because I finally rid myself of my copy of it. Dark Savior is a beautiful experiment that sucks total ass. It's so bad. <laughs> But uh, I just tormented some friends with that box art. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Like, uh, and when you get into the game, like the core game itself, uh, like it's sprite based, but the sprites are really weird and probably shouldn't look like that that was the period where it's like we've got more screen real estate we make taller more human looking sprites oh please stop don't (laughs) yeah uh it's one of those things like it was the style of the time you couldn't just say well we're not going to even attempt 3d yeah like even impressive 2d games sort of needed that there's also just like Saturn games are weird in terms of like how the game how the game screen like how the game processes things means that like everything is like in these two frame buffers that are control like everything is put into a frame buffer but they're all images composited together from two different video display processors which means that because of how that works and because those video display processors don't have the same capabilities you get very strange issues like the famous one is transparent semi-transparent objects and how like the saturn has issues with those and it's not that it can't do that it's that only one of the video display processors can and it's not often the one people wanted it to be (laughs) In order to make transparency work properly with fire effects in Burning Rangers, the game is essentially built backwards. <laughs> like it's it's done so that like the one that you would typically do most of the game world in is done is doing the opposite job because that's the only way that they can get transparency on the fire effects. It's very strange. There's some very good uh videos on it i know that uh uh, digital foundry retro has done a video on it there's also um a uh i believe taiwanese uh youtube channel that that did a couple of their videos they translated into english and one of them was specifically about how semi-transparent effects work on the saturn and it's a fascinating video that i recommend anyone interested in the subject go watch uh, the channel I think is called Low Score Boy. Recommended. Uh, there's some other interesting videos on that channel I would recommend. There's one about a Taiwan exclusive game console called the Akan. Interesting. That is, uh, 
just it like 12 games ever came out for it uh and it just sort of goes over all of them as well as what games were announced for it that never happened how it kind of was how it kind of lured in and killed a lot of uh, local Taiwanese developers that had had to resort to unlicensed games before that because they couldn't really get licensed to make games. So, but now there was a local console they could develop for, and then that console immediately died, uh, and took a lot of them with it. Uh, and there's another one that I think is about, as I recall, it's about the uh, the FMV capabilities of the Saturn, as I recall. Uh, don't quote me on that one. I need to recheck to make sure that, that one's there. But that's that's a recommended YouTube channel if you're interested in any of these subjects that I'm rambling about. Uh, but yeah. Um, don't worry about lowering your suspicion at this point. Okay. The, uh, the, the way to the boss is clear at this point. Um, but yeah. So... They, these are really hard pair of systems to compare because they do opposite things. Yes. It also was a weird time because a lot of this was new and yeah. no one I think, precisely knew what they were doing. Yeah, I think the reason that I always find it fascinating to go back to this gen is because there is no accepted wisdom of how 3D games should work yet. Like... When we see games homogenize uh, over the course of the ops, part of the reason is that, of course, that developers are choosing to do things that they know work. But the actual, like, of course, part of the reason that they do that is that it's cheaper than reinventing the wheel and seeing if it breaks. But, you know, these developers didn't even have a choice. Like, it's just... Well, no one's really done this. You can find, if you really want to see the primordial ooze of Japanese 3D game development uh, outside of the arcade, which was always like games that were built on concepts that were surefire, like virtual racing, uh, where like you had to think a lot about th something like Virtual Fighter because it n employed new technical challenges, but like you also had the full might of a giant R&D division mm. building an entire arcade board directly to your specifications. If you want to see the primordial ooze of low-budget 3D development in Japan, go look up like Japanese 3DO games from companies with names like Microcabin, and you will find very strange like early experiments. Uh, I'm trying to remember... Some of the ones that I have seen that have names like Jumping Runner or something. It's not Jumping Runner, but it's like 3D Runner or something, but not 3D World Runner. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, I went on a tear there. I apologize. Uh, it's all good. But yeah, um, the the design trends of the t like the Saturn is hurt by the fact that every design trend of the time is the opposite of what its hardware is good at. <laughs> like I remember that there was like a really impressive port of like Wipeout XL to the Saturn, 
And like in this case, what really impressive means is about on par with the PS1 version. <laughs> Let me double check. Is that Wipeout? Wipeout 2097, Wipeout XL. Uh, it was released in. It was released on PlayStation September of 1996. It came out in on the Saturn in late 1997. Hmm. And they had just had to take an entire year to rebuild the game around the Saturn specifications. And like that's that's why it's it's a really good port. But uh, that was not a thing that. <laughs> That was not a thing that uh, many developers were going to do. So, I mean, hope you like Clockwork Night. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad. I was going to say, you seem like the sort of person who would have played Clockwork Night. Yes, I did. And it was very bad. And I believe I got rid of my copy. <laughs> you believe you're free of this curse. Because the clock. Yes. if you've ever seen Clockwork Night, it actually does look like a cursed doll. <laughs> Not recommend. No, it's a bad game. Bad video. Oh man, go look at the cover if you've never seen it, because Clockwork Knight literally looks like a cursed doll. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, the same friends with this <laughs> this image of the Clockwork Knight <laughs> box. But we are out of questions. So send us your favorite cursed Sega Saturn images. <laughs> uh, I got a million of them. Tell us of what your favorite Dark Savior ending is. Is it the one where you die immediately and have to have a tournament fight in hell? Is it the one where the ooze monster thing like kills everyone and everything is bad? Dark Savior's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely weird and very bad. It's terrible, but I respect it. It's it fascinating. <laughs> Like, it is experimental in ways that even most, like, Sega Saturn PS1 era games are not. Yes. Because it is a fundamentally bizarre game structure. But that, that is a game where everything that's going to happen to the game, happen in the plot is determined by how well you did in the first five minutes. Yes. You could have a completely, utterly, completely different game experience depending on, like, just how quickly you've get through the first area. You finish like the level one. Like imagine if taking too long in Mario One made it so that like Bowser had raised the entire mushroom kingdom. <laughs> imagine that if you took two minutes to finish the first level, you instead started playing the lost levels. <laughs> <laughs> and also like the game suddenly like not just the lost levels in terms of being miserable for you to play, but also being miserable in terms of like, oh everyone's dead. Yeah. That would be traumatizing to play as a child. Yeah. Yeah, Dark Saber is a bad game. I played <laughs> it as I a child. It. Well, I'm sorry. High school child, but still. You were still a child. Yes. High schoolers just like to pretend they're not children. Yes. <laughs> Purchased it, and it was like, oh, this look, this looks like the follow-up to uh, Landstalker that Alonso. And it kind of was. Wasn't. Yeah. And, yeah. And mostly was not. Alundra is also a really unhappy game. Yes. But I would say plays better and plays more like Alundra. Did somebody do something to the developers on Landstalker? 
<laughs> it, it really feels like someone had a lot of important people to them die in a short space. <laughs> like, it reminds me of how, like, the, the story about FF7 is that it was written right after here was that Nobu Sakaguchi's mother died. Ooh. Hello? That explains a lot. It does explain a certain preoccupation that the game has. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alright, anyway, I guess we should wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, questions in the usual places? Yep. And hopefully Gaijin will be available next week. Uh, but uh, regardless, we will see you then. See ya. Space Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs>